0: 458, draw me nearer, 458 in your hymn books. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thy hide. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before Thy throne I spent. When I kneel in prayer and with Thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious pleading sigh. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross a narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious pleading side, 720. I love this song. I am so glad my Father in heaven, Jesus loves even me. Amen. 720. I am so glad that our Father in Heaven tells of His love in the book He has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest and Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Though I forget him and wander away, still he doth love me whenever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves even me. Oh, if there's only one song I can sing, when in His beauty I see the great King. This will my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. And let's turn to page 666. The only good 666 I know is in your hymn book. Amen. Page 666. My Jesus, I love Thee. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer. My Savior art Thou If ever I love Thee My Jesus, tis now I love Thee because Thou hast first loved me and purchase my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love Thee for wearing the thorns on Thy brow. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. I'll love Thee in life, I will love Thee in death, and praise Thee as long as Thou lendest me breath, and when, when the death do lies cold on my brow, if there Jesus, tis now on that last In mansions of glory and endless delight I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright I'll sing with a glittering cry if ever I love thee my Jesus is now let's pray dear Heavenly Father we thank you for your goodness Lord we thank you for the grand old hymns of the faith we thank you that no matter what is going on in the world that we can take these few moments and take our attention off all that's happening around us and put it upon you and your word. We ask you to teach and to minister and to strengthen us with your word. And Lord, that we may leave this place better able to live in this crazy world in which we find ourselves. We ask for your blessings upon this time that we may bless Thee as we serve Thee this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just um, ask your prayers. We have two street fairs this weekend. Uh, We have one on Dittmar's. It goes from uh, Dittmar's on 31st Street, actually. It goes from Dittmar's Boulevard north to uh, 21st Avenue, and uh, we'll be setting up about uh, 9 o'clock, 9.30. And uh, we could use some help there, especially in the afternoon. And uh, if you're able to come and, and lend a hand, uh, please do. We could, we'll could be passing out tracks, setting up the booth. And then Sunday, uh, just be warned all of you that drive, 30th Avenue is going to be completely closed off uh, from... Let's see, you get through on Crescent Street, you'll get through on 31st Street under the train, and then you won't get through again until uh, Steinway Street. I mean, it is, uh, is going to be miserable trying to cross 30th Avenue. Uh, if, if you come from east in Long Island, which is actually this way behind me, uh, you might want to drop down to 31st Avenue as quickly as you can if you're driving. Uh, there'll be barricades out in front of the street uh, here at 35th Street at the corner. Uh, you won't be able to pull up on the block, so just just be prepared. Uh, if you take public transportation, nothing changes. You just hop on. Well, the uh, what is it? The Q18 will be running probably 31st Avenue rather than 30th Avenue. So... Uh, Catch Brother John and see if you can get on his bus, and he'll drop you off at the church. All right. Um, And also, would Ask Your Prayers, Uh, we've... uh, uh, I don't know if I should say uh, how wise this decision is, but we begin the hallway, the last phase there, and uh, working about 18 feet off the ground on a ladder and uh, putting up sheetrock and all of that. I got some help lined up, but... uh, Just pray for safety and uh, pray that we can get the wall sealed up before Sunday uh, so it doesn't look so bad. Uh, Just don't go down the stairs to the basement. There's a big ladder in the way. You'll trip and fall and we don't want that. So uh, just uh, pray for us, if you would, about that, that we can get get that done. And then, of course, Sunday uh, we will be working... Uh, The street fair on 30th Avenue, and just invite you to take a part in that if you can. All right, let's. uh, Oh, boy. Ding, ding, ding. Maria had the babies. Uh, Let me see, I believe it was Tuesday, right? Monday. Monday or Tuesday? It was Monday, okay. One boy, one girl. Uh, They were both 20 inches long. The little boy was seven pounds, six ounces. The little girl was six pounds and a few. So uh, Maria was carrying quite a bit of baby there. And uh, uh, let's see, as far as we know, everybody's doing fine. Pray for dad. He's taking it kind of tough. He's doing well, he really is. And uh, let's see now, the boy is Simon John and the girl is Melody what? Melody Grace. And so, uh, uh, praise the Lord, everybody's doing well. Uh, Got to hold the little ones uh, Tuesday afternoon and uh, they got a good feel to them. Uh, So, you uh, pray for, for Brett and Maria. I think she'll be trying to come home from the hospital in the next day or so. And a lot of adjustments with twins. Everything happens in stereo. And so uh, you uh, pray for them, and uh, praise the Lord he's worked out the things that need to have happened there, and uh, things are going real well for them. So uh, I think that's all the announcements. And so let's uh, sing one more song, and then we'll get into our Bible study tonight, 209 Is it the crowning day, 209? Uh. Jesus may come today, glad day, glad day, and I would see, my friend, dangers and troubles would end. IF JESUS SHOULD COME TODAY GLAD DAY, GLAD DAY IS IT THE CROWNING DAY I'LL LIVE FOR TODAY, NOR ANXIOUS BE JESUS MY LORD I SOON SHALL SEE GLAD DAY, GLAD DAY IS IT THE CROWNING DAY I may go home today. Glad day, glad day. Seemeth I hear their song. Hail to the radiant throng. If I should go home today. Glad day, glad day. Is it a crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day. Is it the coming day? Why should I anxious be? Glad day, glad day lights appear on the shore storms will affright nevermore for he is at hand today glad day glad day is it the crowning day i'll live for today nor anxious be jesus my lord i soon shall see Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? Faithful I'll be today, glad day, glad day. And I will freely tell why I should love him so well, for he is my all today. Glad day, glad day, a crowning day, I'll live for today, nor anxious be, Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm not sure, but I think we may just be able to get through and finish Hebrews chapter 3 tonight. We've. Kinda of covered the beginning and the end of the chapter. We still need to go back and get the middle and uh, um, it's kinda like eating an Oreo cookie, right? You save the icing till last. No, you gotta eat that first, don't you? But uh we'll we'll just uh come back and try to pick up the middle part of this chapter here and, and get the entire uh message and uh we, we start off with the command to consider Christ and to understand that there is many likenesses to the law but the actual comparison between Jesus and the law, there's no comparison at all. Uh, Jesus is so much greater in what he offers us through grace is so absolutely wonderful but there are going to be people that miss out on what God has for us. And we need to uh, be careful. We need to uh, be warned. And that's what this chapter is. Verse 6 says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast, this is verse 6 of chapter 3, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end Now, we spent most of our time on that phrase so we're not going to spend much time but verse seven starts wherefore because of this because of this idea of holding to the end and we understand that it's not us holding to the end it's god that is holding us to the end if you're truly saved you will hang on and uh... Verse 7, it says wherefore, and then you're going to see a parenthesis there. Now, this parenthesis is going to go the whole way down to the end of verse 11. Now, we use the parenthesis, parenthetical statements, if you like, grammar terms and all of that stuff, because we're trying to insert a thought into the sentence that is really not in the mainstream of where we're going, but it is foundational. The author thinks that it is necessary. It's kind of like saying, well, you understand, we need to repair the walls in the basement. By the way, in order to do that, I'm going to need some help to go to the store and get the supplies. That would be an example of a parenthetical phrase or a statement. It is important to the overall thought, but it is not necessarily part of the flow of where the author is going. And so, let's take a moment here and just look at this and read this parenthetical statement. We start with the word as, the second word in verse 7. It says, As the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, Now, that's the parenthetical statement. Now, we're just going to read and drop the parenthetical out so that we make sure we keep the movement of the passage going. It says, Wherefore, then we skip down to verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of Sin and verse 14 goes right back to verse 6 For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. And it goes on to the end of the chapter there. Now, what we are getting here is we are to take heed, we are to watch over our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ we're to be careful about that thing because there are many many people if you were raised in a Christian home if you were raised in the Bible if you've been a Christian a a long period of time we get so comfortable with the Bible and the things of God's Word that we think there's only two groups of people in the world Those that love God and the Bible who are saved and on their way to heaven and those who hate God and the Bible and are on their way to hell and happy to be going that direction. Now, that's not the way the world is divided up. In fact, if we found the largest group of people living today is people who are thinking they're on their way to heaven but according to the scripture and in reality they are not now that's a frightening thought there are very few people who have decided they want to go to hell I remember when I was pulling trailer for Brother Clayton on the back window of the trailer somebody put this big uh, yellow bumper sticker there that said uh, let's see heaven or hell where will you spend eternity and uh, we were driving down the highway one day and some group of kids came by in a sports coupe with the roof down and said hell that's where we're going hell and drove on past. now that only happened once and unfortunately, they were probably correct in their surmise of the situation. And if something drastic did not happen, that's probably where they ended up. But what we have to understand here is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And yet, what do we, what do we say? I, I really believe we have uh, a bunch of practical heathens inside many churches today. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, a practical heathen is one who trusts in their own heart. That's what heathenism is. It is listening to the desires and the demands of your heart. It is someone who is given to fulfilling their own desires. And it's not just wicked desires, it's, it's living a life that is consumed with self. That is what heathenism is all about. And yet we have many people who quote-unquote name the name of Jesus Christ. And yet when it comes to making life's decisions and to determining what we're going to do, well, I know what the Bible says. But but I really believe in my heart that I'll be okay if I disagree with what the Bible says. That is practical heathenism. It, it, it's what we do. It's just like situation ethics and all the... I mean, you can call it all these different things. But when it gets right down to it, it says, if you are saved... You're going to hold fast that profession unto the end. Verse 14 says, listen, it says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. There is nothing new in Christianity. If it's new, it's not Christian. If it's Christian, it's not new. Because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, it is he who told the disciples what to write, which we have in this book called the Bible, and everything we need is right here. And this Bible was finished almost 2,000 years ago. I think that qualifies for old. How about you? And so as we look at this passage, let us get the the direction he's going to There are many that are going to start on the right road, but they're not going to make it. Here is the example out of the Old Testament. The example is the day of provocation. That's what it's called here. That's what it's called in Psalm 95. Uh, That's what it's called in the book of Deuteronomy. It, God says, in that day you provoke me, you crossed over the line, and there is no turning back. And so as we look here, the parenthetical says, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice. Now again, we're quoting scripture. Let's turn to Psalm 95. Keep your finger in Hebrews 4. Psalm 95 And we're going to read verses 7 through 11, and then we're going to go back to the book of Hebrews and read verses 7 through 11. It says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now we go back to the book of Hebrews. It says, as the Holy Ghost saith, This is coming from the Bible. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Pretty close, isn't it? This is the picture. The people who died in the wilderness, how many of them were eyewitnesses of the plagues in Egypt? All of them. How many of them walked through the Red Sea? All of them. How many of them saw God Himself come down and sit on Mount Sinai and heard God's voice speak unto them from the mountain and give them the Ten Commandments of God? All of them. How many of them said, God is such a great God that that we cannot hear His voice. Moses, you go up there and you hear for us and you come down and tell us. God said he was pleased with that speech because it was respectful and it was honoring to God. But what did those, not these people, some of their friends and family, they built them a golden calf while Moses was up on top of the mountain. They died that day, the people who were involved. I believe it was like 32,000 people that died because of the sin of the golden calf. They had seen God's judgments. They had seen God heal the waters at Meribah. They had seen the water come out of the rock in Exodus chapter 17. They had seen all the wonderful things that God had done. But when they got to Canaan land, it was a whole different business. The only problem was to the children of Israel that is being spoken of here, For them, it was business as usual. They had not changed. They were the same people that walked through the Red Sea. They were the same people that argued with Moses. They were the same people that saw the miracles of God. And yet, we know what happened. The day of provocation was when the 12 spies came back and they gave the report. Ten of them said, It is an evil land, and it eateth up the inhabitants thereof. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. Remember, they had one cluster of grapes that was so large, it took two men to carry that cluster of grapes on a pole between them. Aren't you glad they don't sell things like that at the corner? I mean, could you imagine a mass of grapes, 50, 60 pounds. The branches, the the little, it's not actually a branch, I don't know what you would call it, the little feeder stems that hold the grapes on where they grow were so strong that you could stick a pole between them, a wooden staff that you would use to walk on and carry it through the land and it didn't break off and grapes flying all over the place. That's, that's some kind of grapevine, I'll tell you. Uh, you wouldn't want to plant one of those outside. It might just take over the whole building. They had seen the good fruits of the land, and yet when it came time to make the decision, they said, we can't do it. God said their hearts were hard. They could not believe it took 40 years for those people to die in the wilderness. If you take that entire generation, divide it out, it's somewhere around 100 funerals a day. Think about that they buried that generation no one over the age of 21 entered the promised land except for two Joshua and Caleb this is the picture god wanted to give those that were had grown up in slavery rest He wanted to give them peace. He wanted to give them victory. By the way, what was the first thing they did when they crossed over Jordan's banks into the Promised Land? Was they got a few things right with God and then they fought a war, didn't they? God's got a strange idea of rest, doesn't He? Well, we'll get to that when we get to chapter 4. God's definition of rest is a little different than our definition of rest we think rest is just laying down and going to sleep and doing nothing no god's definition of rest is him he is god doing the work and we get to take a part of that work but it's god's work it's not our work you know many people where they fall short is they're still trying to help God, allow them to believe. They're still somehow trying to believe that they can help God, bring them into a relationship with God. If you believe that you're helping God, who are you ultimately trusting in? Yourself. And if you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in God. If you think somehow you are going to keep your salvation by what you do and the list of things that you oh, I know that I can't get saved uh, except for the grace of God, and so I call upon God and ask Him to save me. But you don't understand, if I'm going to keep my salvation, I've got a load of things I've got to do. Wait a minute. when we believe that way. We are ultimately putting more faith and more trust in ourselves and in our efforts than we are in God. And that in itself is the definition of unbelief. These people said, there's no way we can conquer this land. Unbelief. Amen? What did Caleb and Joshua say? You don't understand. We're not going to conquer the land. God's going to give us the land. But we have to go in and we have to carry the sword and we have to show up for the battles, but God is going to deliver this land into our hands. You wonder why the whole world wants that little piece of property there in the Middle East? It's because if the devil's people get a hold of that land they're going to take it away from the people that God gave it to everybody in the world wants that little strip of property why because God himself paid special attention to that little strip of property It was through the Jewish people that Jesus, the Messiah, was born, according to the Scriptures, in Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. It's absolutely amazing. 2,000 years nearly after Jesus walked the face of the earth, the whole world is looking have one little piece of property. A very small piece of property. And they all want it. Why? Because God said, it's mine, amen? I'm going to give it to my people. And in the day of provocation, God's people said, we can't do it. God said, okay, you're not going to. I'm done. I'm through. I've had enough of you. Sounds like mom, doesn't it? Or dad. I've had all I can take. You know, God gives us parents so that we can understand what our relationship to God ought to be. God gives us children, parents, so we can understand a little bit of what God has to put up with from us. But here's the example. And he says, wherefore, take heed. Listen, these people walked through the Red Sea. They saw the miracles that God worked. They ate of the Passover the very first time that it occurred when the death angel was actually going through the land. They had seen the Egyptians carrying out their dead as they were marching out of the land of Israel only to be trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, only to have the sea open up and drown the Egyptian army which followed, only to have the bitter waters made sweet three days later only to hear God's voice speaking directly to them off Mount Sinai. And yet, when it came time to make the decision to enter into the land, they couldn't. Look at verse 19, the summary of this entire passage. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. The unbelief was there. They couldn't change their decision because they'd already made it. You ever met anybody that said they were trying to make a decision and they wanted some help? and would like you to give them counsel from the Bible only to find out they'd already made up their mind and they were very upset because you didn't tend to agree with what they'd already decided they were going to do. If you haven't had that happen yet, just keep serving God. You'll run into somebody like that along the lines. You'll run into people that have already made up their mind. And this is what the Bible was saying. It says, take heed, verse 12, lest there be where. Now, this is what we got to get a hold of. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now, he is writing this to believers in Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to take heed, lest there be in any of you. Lest there be someone in your local assembly, in your church, lest there be someone there, he says, you can't tell, sometimes they can't even tell. Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. This is how you can know whether you have an evil heart of unbelief. If you can depart, if you can leave, if you can set your Christianity aside and go back where you came from out into the world, you qualify right here. There are many people who believe they are doing right, they are saved, but they have departed from the living God because they have an evil heart of unbelief. Just like those members of the children of Israel who refused to enter the promised land at God's command. They said, we can't do it. They were absolutely correct. They couldn't do it. God never expected them to do it. He said, I'm going to do it for you. It's the same way with salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. You can't live the Christian life. God has to do it for you. And right here it says, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We could give stories tonight in the nearly 14 years that opened our Bible Baptist Church. I could give you names of people I remember the story of one person none of you have ever met this person you you would not recognize him from the story the way I'm going to tell it this person when they were baptized gave the most wonderful testimony of salvation I've heard ever heard anyone give at baptism talking about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and and giving their life to Him and what a blessing it was and the freedom that they had in being saved. About six months later, the statement was made, when I open my heart to praise God, heavy metal music comes out. I said, whoa, wait a minute. How can you take music dedicated to the devil? Oh, no, that's not devilish music. That's music I use to praise God. So wait a minute. There is not an honest person in this world, especially those that are involved in the genre of heavy metal music. I mean, uh, I think Metallica's heavy metal. If we got a few of those guys here on the platform and said, do you believe in God and do you use your... Your music to praise the God of this Bible I think they would use many expletives and other kinds of language to very seriously confer on us that they worship the devil and they love him and they know exactly what they're doing with their music and that is bringing glory to Satan the the God of this world you see there's there's a disconnect there I had one person tell me said pastor God doesn't want me to be unhappy and I am much happier living in a a, uh, relationship of fornication and adultery than I am serving God in the church and therefore God wants me to be happy. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to live in fornication and adultery and, uh, and I'm not coming to church anymore. Let me tell you, this is what the Bible's talking about here, having an evil heart of unbelief. I had one couple living in fornication and and they invited me over to the house and and, uh, and they knew that I did not know that this was going on and they said we want to be baptized and join the church. And uh, as I was sitting there, you know, looking around the house, I began to realize what was going on and I Uh, I said, uh, listen, I said, uh, you two are apparently living together. Is that true? Oh, yes, it is. I said, uh, you know, you've got to get this solved. Well, we're going to get married about two years. I said, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, I said, if you go down to City Hall and get the marriage license, I'll perform a private ceremony and if you want to have your big wedding ceremony two years down the road do so that's up to you but you need to be honest with each other and society and and the people of our church I said if we allowed you to become a member of our church on Sunday the next business meeting we'd have right after you got out of the baptismal tank would be to remove you from membership of the church because you're living in sin this is what they told me said we've discussed it Pastor, if you had said we could join the church without getting married, we would not respect you as a man of God. He said, so you're going to get married, right? No. We're not. We're going to wait for our big wedding. This is what the Bible's talking about, an evil heart of unbelief. In departing, from the living God. Here is the cure. Verse 13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you've been here any time at all, you got a pretty good idea of what to expect when you come to church. Amen? I mean, we're not into new and flamboyant things and changing the complete scope and sequence of the services and uh, trying... I mean, you're going to hear the Word of God. That's what we plan every service to be. And there's going to be something in that message. I mean, I pray that there's something in each message that you can get a hold of and say... God, by your grace, this needs to be changed in my life so that I can live better for you. That's what exhortation is. It is the cure for unbelief. Either you will get tired of the exhortation and you will leave, or you will surrender to the exhortation and become obedient to God's word. Now, this next part is very, it says, Lest your heart, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, this hardening process is exactly that. It is a process, it is being hardened, it is being able to listen to what God says and not allow it to affect you. It's being able to listen to what the Bible says and look honestly at your own life and see that this does not match up with what the Bible says and still say, I don't need to do anything about it. That's what hardness of heart is. Sin will harden your heart. Read the story of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. We're coming up on that in the next several weeks in Sunday school. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And By the time that thing was done, Pharaoh was such a caricature of a person. He was so ridiculous in his hardness that nothing made common sense to the point to where when the Red Sea opened, he led his chariots down into that Red Sea trying to kill the children of Israel and was drowned in the depths of the Red Sea. Does that make a bit of sense? How hard does your heart have to be before you do that? The longer you let sin in your life, the harder your heart becomes. The Old Testament prophets said there's, there's a process of breaking up that fallow ground. That is good soil that has not been planted, not been used. And it takes a process of breaking that up and, and, and uh, uh, making that soil fine and arable so it will grow crops. It will bring forth fruit rather than just weeds. That plowing process is exhortation. It says we need to exhort one another daily while it is called today. We need to exhort. We need to encourage one another face to face. We need to stand for what is true. Amen? We cannot dip our colors as they would say. We cannot just join up with the world and hope it's going to be okay. We cannot uh, go back to where we came from. We cannot allow sin to just sit in our life. We have this idea here that somehow that this little bit of sin is not going to bother us. That it's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. Because every drop, if you want to look at it that way, every drop of sin you allow into your life is part of that hardening process. And as that process begins to harden, there comes a point when the heart is no longer pliable, when it cannot be broken up, when it cannot be used. And that's the let's look here in verse 14. We come back to the to the subject here of this chapter, for we remain partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. If you have true salvation, that's the beginning of your confidence. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you just simply trust Him as your Savior, the Bible says. You're a partaker of Christ if you hold that steadfast unto the end. The, uh, The antithesis or the other way of this verse, if you don't hold on to the end, if it doesn't last to the end, you're not made a partaker of Christ. You're an imitator. You're one of these numbers who has an evil heart of unbelief. And it will lead to your departure from the living God. Oh, yeah, you may walk through the Dead Sea. You may see the miracles. You may have your life enhanced many times over by the things that you see and hear from this book called the Bible. But if your heart has that unbelief and that hardness in it, look what it says. It says in verse 15: while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, for someone they had heard did provoke. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Praise God, not everybody provoke God, not everybody disobeyed God. You know, one of the greatest, I don't know what, excuses. Everybody's doing it. No. Everybody isn't doing it. And by God's grace, we ain't doing it here. Amen? Till Jesus comes back. Everybody isn't doing it. Don't use that as an excuse. That's what led an entire generation to be buried in the desert. Because... They weren't going to say nay to their neighbor. They weren't going to argue with their friend. I told a preacher one time, he he was just moved into town and he thought that he and I ought to be very close friends and, and I could tell by some of the first conversations that he really wouldn't like me as a friend. And I remember telling him, I said, Now, now, brother, you've got to understand something. I said, I'm a naturally offensive person. I pick my friends based on my doctrine. Because if, if I have a friend that's not, that does not share their, the same beliefs that I do, I'm going to offend you. I'm going to make you angry at me. There's just going to come a time when it happens. And his answer was, I think I'm a little bigger than that. And because he was a little older than me, I didn't tell him, you're welcome to it, brother, but you're not doing it with me. He got the message. It's not that I'm trying to be just ridiculously abrasive or purposefully obnoxious. But if you don't agree about things in this book called the Bible, there's going to come a time when we're going to have words about that. Because I believe every word in this book called the Bible. Now, I wish my life matched up with what's in here a lot better than it does. But the issue is simply this. We need to listen today. If there's something you can do today to draw yourself closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, do it. If there is some little sin left in your life today, you'd better confess it to God today and get rid of it. You say, well, I'll, I'll get it straightened out in a couple of weeks. You know, we're having a members meeting here, the Lord's Supper in a couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll be ready for that. No. It says today. while it is called today. That's why we have a time of invitation at the end of every service so that we can give you the opportunity as the Holy Spirit brings those things up to say, hey, that's me. That's something I need to change in my life. It says, but with whom was he grieved? Forty years was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he swear? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? This is the scary part about this passage, and, and this is a tough passage. You've, you've, uh, this is not winning friends and influencing people. I mean, this, this chapter here, chapters 3 and 4, are two of the most frightening chapters in the entire book of Hebrews, in the entire Bible, because it's talking about people who are along for the ride but are not going to make it. You do not know. I do not know. God has a line drawn in our life. And we will feel the conviction of sin. And we will understand that God is dealing with us and wanting us to change our life. And if we keep telling him no and keep telling him no, we do not know when that is going to be, but we will step over that line. That's what happened on that day. Do you think those children of Israel, if they had any idea, those ten men, if they had any idea that they were going to go to hell that day for what they said and what they did, do you think they would have done it? Absolutely not. The reason they saw God's judgment because their heart had already made up His mind. The last verse says they could not enter in because of unbelief. There was no way it was going to be changed. Their course was set. It was finished. It was all over with long before they got to that point. The Bible says they died that hour by the plague before the Lord. It says they had an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I have no hope of seeing those ten men in heaven any time. We'll see them at the great white throne judgment as their judgment is pronounced and they're bound hand and foot and transferred from hell, the holding place, to the lake of fire, the eternal resting place of the damned. These are serious words we're looking at here. It says, Take heed lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. If that exhortation, the Word of God, is not picking at you as it once did, I challenge you, I beg of you, come down here to the front and spend some time on your face before God. Say, God, I I want to know that you're dealing with me because the reason we are not understanding God's work in our heart and our life Is because our hearts are being hardened. Not one of those people thought that they were going to miss out on God's best blessings. But they did. What was their response the next day? Well, we've changed our mind. We're going to go back into the promised land. We're going to obey you, God. What did Moses say? He said, don't do it. He said, it's too late. You're going to die in the wilderness. It's too late. They decided to go up to the top of the hill anyway. And they got chased and killed by their enemies. They missed God's rest because of unbelief. It was not just that one act of unbelief on the day when the 12 spies came back and 10 gave the negative report. It was because that unbelief had festered in their heart for years. And God knew exactly what he was doing, and he was drawing things to a conclusion here. And he was going to draw that line and say, This is the end of my mercy for this generation. I've given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they've refused me. Now I'll refuse them. My plea for you tonight is to let's draw nigh while it is called today. because we do not want our hearts to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That you would make us tender toward your prodding. Lord, we'd be willing to confess our sins as sin against a holy God. That we would see ourselves for who we are and what we are. Lord, that we would deal with your word in our lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, let's just keep our heads bowed tonight.